Hello and welcome to Cultivating Conversations with me, Claire Nazir. I'm a TV broadcaster, meteorologist and author and have teamed up with Chaseman Global to bring you a regular dose of inspired stories in the world of AgTech. As a leading partner to some of the world's most forward-thinking agri-tech companies, Chaseman Global work with rising stars and the best in the business those who instill change to improve efficiency, productivity and profitability. Every nation on this planet strives towards food security. Research by the Food and Agriculture Organization suggests by 2050, we will need to be producing around 60% more food than we do today. Providing that extra food with a traditional farming-as-usual approach places a heavy burden on natural resources and current production. Whilst there are ripe environments around the world for producing food locally, there are many regions where arable and livestock production is a challenge. The increasing threat of extreme weather impacts from climate change and supply chain issues that can buckle stocks further, it's no wonder some countries are embracing new food technologies. One place where there's been a meteoric rise in agri-tech and food tech enterprise is Israel. Aleph Farms are based in Israel but they're also world leaders in the development of cell-based cultured meat. They can boast a lot of firsts. In 2018, they were the first to create a cultivated steak. In 2019, they succeeded in growing meat in space. In 2021, they successfully produced a ribeye steak. These are exciting times. But it's one thing creating a prototype, another scaling up to meet the needs of consumers. Today, we hear from Dr. Netta Lavon, Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of R&D at Aleph Farms. I spoke to her from Aleph Labs just outside Tel Aviv in Israel. My name is Netta Lavon. I'm the CTO and VP R&D of Aleph Farms that is located in Israel, a food company aiming to produce uh, food meat for everyone. Did you start in food tech or something completely different? Tell me about your academic background. So actually, I uh, I did a kind of a circle, you know. Uh, I started with food. I decided that I want to be a food technologist. And uh, I started my bachelor in chemistry and biochemistry of food in the Faculty of Agriculture in Rehovot here in Israel. And when I graduated, it was a little bit more than 20 years ago. I wouldn't tell you how much exactly. I started looking for a job and I started visiting uh, food plants and I saw the lab and I realized that there wasn't any research and innovation. It was mainly quality control, testing for microbiology, for safety or testing for nutritional values, but they didn't develop any new products. I decided that it wasn't appealing enough and I decided to continue my studies and I went to study biotechnology And that's how I was exposed to cell biology and stem cell biology. And I continued to do my PhD working about stem cells. That was really very strong in Israel and was very exciting these days, together with the Proposition 71 in California, for example, that gave a lot of money to stem cell research. And I explored these topics, looking on stem cells for the aim of developing new therapies understanding diseases and developing therapies based on cells. And I did my postdoc and then I joined a company that developed such technologies. I've been eight years in a company 
that my expertise was to take technologies from the university, from the academia, and develop them into industrial product. And I did it for a therapy for ALS. And uh, for eight years, we were at the stages of approaching the FDA. We did started discussions. We visited the FDA and we started producing the therapy for clinical trials. And then I got a phone call from a colleague of mine. And he told me, what do you think about taking stem cells into developing meat, into developing food? And in the beginning, I was very surprised. Uh, and I told him, told her actually, listen, I, I have to think about it. This is, uh, you know, very disturbing and uh, maybe uh, uh, distracting. And I really realized that these are distracting technologies that will have a huge impact on our future because we are developing something that will stay for generation, will promise food security, will reduce the resources that we use of the environment in order to make sure that our children will have enough food, which is the basics for everything, and will also help allow us to prevent diseases from happening because we can promise healthier and, and safer food. And that's how I did my circle. So your ultimate goal is providing food for everybody. When did it start? When was that seed of inspiration from using your your theory to create something where you could create a piece of meat, basically? I mean, it, I can't fathom it. I can't really get my head around the science. So you're going to have to educate me here, Netta. So tell me, first of all, about your timeline from the concept to proof of concept to where we are now. So we have started working, establishing the company based on technologies that were developed in the Technion Institute of Technology, developed by Professor Shulamit Levenberg. And she's the world expert in tissue engineering. And she has started developing this concept back in 2016. She's been working on developing tissues for therapy again. And then she had a student that was vegan and came to her and tell her, listen, I want to create meat for me to eat. Let's take your technologies of how to make muscle, which is actually the steak that we eat, and let's do it with cells from cows. And that's how they started developing this concept. And when Alephan was established, we further developed this concept. And actually, already in 2018, we have released our first proof of concept to the public. And we had the reporter that came here and, and took some photos and tasted the product. And that was our first, you know, public exposure back December 2018. And since there, a year after, we uh, released actually the prototype that would be the basic for commercial development that we are doing these days. And in January, we released another product that we are developing that is actually the Antricot, that is combining different cell types together that are produced by 3D bioprinting. And that was the first antricot in the world that was made by uh, cells taken from cow without the need to grow the cows, just to grow the cells without the need to slaughter a cow, of course. So that's the role that we did. And today we are building our pilot plant, planning to launch uh, our product second half of next year. And that's how we will start exposing the product for everyone, for the public. 
It's incredible, really. Your timeline is five years so far from something which was an idea almost, although the science obviously was there already, to a point where you're now creating a almost a production line. Can we backtrack a little bit? I would love to understand in the simplest terms how you take a cell from a cow and create a whole cut. Is it simple to explain that in a minute or a minute and a half? I mean, what, the, the ABC guide, basically, Netta, that's what I'm looking for here. <laughs> so what we're doing is that we are taking a biopsy, a group of cells from the cow, and we actually mimic the natural processes that are happening within the cow, but just outside of the cow, okay? So what does a cell need in order to grow? What does a cow need in order to grow? She needs food. And she usually eats the food, it is being digested, and it goes into her bloodstream and feeds the cells. So the cells can grow, the cow can grow and mature. What we do is we take the cells, we put them in a plate and in the small scale, and then in bioreactor, a cultivator, which is a big tank, closed, and that is uh, being circulated homogeneously all the time. We take these cells, we put them in a broth that has everything that is the cell needs in order to grow. It needs glucose to have energy, vitamins, minerals, protein, fatty acids, like we need. And we give these components to the cells to grow and it grows, we don't have to do anything. We have to incubate it in a temperature similar to the temperature of the body of the cow because that's optimum for the cell. So we incubate it in the temperature of the cow's body, we give it the nutrients and the cells grow and that's it. And when we have enough cells, we want to create a tissue out of them. So we are actually embedding them on a scaffold, which is replacing the extracellular matrix, the collagen that we have in our body. The collagen is really the cement that glues the cells to grow together because cells don't grow in suspension, except from the blood cells. So cells need something to adhere to in order to grow. And that's what we do. We take this scaffold, we put the cells onto it, and they create the tissue. And we combine several types of cells, like we have in the meat cut. We have muscle cells, we have adipocytes, the fat cells, and we have the cells that create the collagen that we have in every meat cut. So that's it. That's the tissue. That's how we create the meat. We have to put some salt and pepper, and it's ready. Wow. Let me just add another question onto that. 3D printing, which we've all seen in some shape or form, is that an add-on? That's been something that you've developed since creating your first whole cut. Yes, the entry cut that we developed, we did with 3D bioprinting, and we are developing in our pipeline as a second product. And using printing allows us to create thick stakes that are marbled and actually designed to have this combination and I would say orientation or design between the different cell types, their proportions and their ratios between them. So we have this technology that was developed in the Technion again. We still work with the Technion team that are expert in developing novel ideas and, and concepts. And we bring it to the company in order to make it into a commercial product. And that's, that's our path for developing new products. The timing is key in developing something like this. This could not have been developed even five years earlier, would you say? The 3D printing is a technology that wasn't developed for large-scale production. 
that is the reason that we decided not to start with 3D bioprinting. We knew that we don't have, it doesn't have still the capacity to do large-scale production. And we decided to start with other techniques. And then to give the team that does our next products to start working on it. Doing bioprinting, it's not only printing the materials, it's also printing the cells with the material, with the extracellular matrix, is a complexity that still did not become commercial, even with tissue engineering for therapy. So that is why this is, for us, a second product. Have you tasted your product? I tasted it many times, and um, of course the team here, we have 35 people at the R&D team, a very big group. People are cell biologists, process engineers, and the food technologists. The tool for them to analyze the quality of the product is really tasting. They do it a lot, and we actually still are not allowed to release it for outside tasting because we did not finalize the approval of the regulatory authorities, which we are doing and in parallel, and we, we work very carefully in order to get their check to make sure that the product is safe and according to regulation. But until there, we have to taste it internally only. And I tasted it many times and I enjoy it and I see the progress and the development and and the improvement of the process each time I I try it again. And every, every reaction that we got is great. We had given it to some reporters that came to visit us and uh, we also had the Israeli prime minister tasting it. So it's, uh, it's very nice to get the reactions. It's, uh, you know, it's different from developing cell therapy. When I did cell therapy, I couldn't give anyone to taste it. People looked under the microscope and were amazed. But still here, it's, it's an immediate feedback. You just eat it and you say, wow, it's, uh, that's the reaction we get. In some circles, Israel is known as the startup nation. And perhaps quite rightly so, as this country currently boasts 300 active food tech startups. However, some would argue the landscape here is maturing nicely. There are many players and organisations that make up the Israeli food tech sector. The fledgling businesses and entrepreneurs are supported by universities and a host of researchers who are very active in this space. And fueled by a swathe of multinationals based in Israel, such as PepsiCo, Nestle, Danone, and Coca-Cola, the industry is ripe with an underlying wealth of expertise and talent. Locally, the main drive for this emerging food tech culture is the need to be self-sufficient in all areas of food and agriculture. The ambition may be homegrown, but their appetite is hungry for overseas markets. In 2020, investments in Israeli food tech companies reached 148 million US dollars. Fast forward a year to 2021 and by September, the figure was already 300 million US dollars. This doubling in less than a year marks the highest investment rise in the entire technology sector, listing alternative proteins as the main engine of growth and positioning Israel as a key global player. It's certainly attracting the right kind of attention. A-list celebrities such as Jay-Z, Natalie Portman and Oprah Winfrey are backing food tech with their own money. Most recently, actor and environmental activist Leonardo DiCaprio has joined this roll call, investing an undisclosed amount in Aleph Farms as part of their $105 million US dollar Series B funding round in July. And perhaps one reason why Netta and her team talk so confidently about the future. 
So when the Prime Minister of Israel tasted your meat, did he have a massive smile on his face like you did when I just asked you the same question? He had, yes. And, and what was surprising is that he didn't only taste it one bite, he kept eating it. And I was like, wow, that's the biggest proof, you know. It's uh, It was afternoon, I'm sure he wasn't hungry. It was really appetite, you know. It's uh, We have the video, I can share it. Tell me what the hardest part of the, the product is to mimic when it comes to, to the steak. Is it the texture, is it the taste, or is it the look? Our main challenges is related more to scalability and pricing. That's the challenges of cultivated meat. The technologies of building a tissue or developing the cells, we feel very much comfortable with, and, and they were established with other territories, okay, with other uh, concepts and, and products. Uh, we had, of course, to tailor them to the cow cells and to our processes, which are uh, which uh, has uh, some more requirements to food. But the main challenges with the cultivated meat is to establish large-scale production facilities and also to get the price of this growth media, of this broth that feeds the cells to be in a reasonable cost. So the product, the final product, will be like a commodity, like other food products. And here we did a lot of work in the four years since we started to understand what are all the components. How can we minimize them? How can we find sources that are cost-effective to add them to our growth media? And I should say that we were successful. We have a very clear path how to do this. We have collaborators that we do it with them, that that's their expertise. And accordingly, we were able to have our fundraising uh, early this year and that really showed the proof of our investors that this uh, path that we selected and uh, that we have chosen is the right path to continue forward for large-scale production. So your unit cost of production obviously has fallen significantly since your prototype. Is it falling at a projected rate or greater than that or less than that? So we are able to reduce the cost in 90%, which is a dramatic reduction in, in cost. But our purpose and our plans and our path is to get into a price parity with the high-end meat five years from now. And accordingly, that's how we tailor our processes and uh, develop our product. Uh, because we, we completely understand that pricing is essential and we have to, to be there in order to, to be purchased by the consumers. And that is uh, our plan uh, to get into price parity. Do you think with the way technology is going and accelerating, is there scope for it to be maybe made locally? With cultivated meat, our idea is uh, to have the production locally. The aim is to answer the sustainability needs of our world. The idea is that we don't have to grow it here and transport it over across the sea to other locations like today happens and also brings uh, some issues related to supply chain, of course. So we are planning to have plants locally around the community that is going to uh, purchase this meat to do a kind of a tech transfer of what we developed here and what we are doing now in our pilot plant to actually duplicate, replicate, quadruplicate, and, you know, have many, many duplicates of this in different territories of the world. 
And there are some countries that really don't have any other resources. For example, Singapore is a very good collaborator of us because they have their program of 30 by 30. They would like to produce 30% of their food by 2030 uh, by themselves and not being established on importing from other places. They don't have enough land. So this technology really saves dramatically 95% cutting the land that is needed because we don't have to grow the cows, of course, and also saves 90% of the water that is required for the process. We don't have to grow cow for two years and give it water and feed. And also cuts a lot of the greenhouse gas emission. Again, because of the methane that is produced by the cow, we don't have cows. Of course, we have bioreactors that we have to heat, but it is much less a dramatic reduction in the uses of energy and greenhouse gas production. So all these advantages of cultivated meat over conventional meat really brings the governments and our collaborators to advance this technology. We have collaborators in Japan, we have Mitsubishi, we have BRF in Brazil. We have different locations that we already started discussion and also uh, contracts with uh, already two years ago. And we will going to integrate into the current supply chain that they already have and not, you know, building something from scratch in order to save resources, in order to uh, enhance bringing it into the market. So this is our, you know, uh, large expansion vision. We are a global company. We already have offices in Europe and the US. This is how, how we plan to move forward. Did you find that there was a, a tipping point when it came to investment from having a few people interested to everybody wants to invest, everyone wants a piece of Alif Farms? When I told people that I'm leaving the cell therapy into developing food product, people thought that I'm crazy. I'm leaving my VPA position to somewhere else that completely not secure. But after a year, when the first results of Aleph Farms came out, the field, it was so attractive. We got a lot of offers from investors to invest in the company. And so I can tell you about our experience. I'm very happy to say that we have smart investors that are educated and they're coming from scientific disciplines and they did a thorough due diligence to understand the technology. And they have gave us their the word and their trust that this is the right path. How important is government to supporting this new technology and the development to something which is economically viable? It's a great question. I believe that governments are essential for this field. It's a new ecosystem and it's different um, in different variables. So they should support the R&D in the academia and also for the companies that just started exploring the technologies or maybe tech transfer, because usually these companies uh, have a hard time, you know, uh, getting the investments because they need these first or two years to get the concept first. For example, in our case, the Israeli Innovation Authority invested in the company at first, together with the Kitchen Hub, the Strauss Group, and the Technion, actually, and they gave the first money to start the proof of concept. And this is one of the reasons that Israel is leading, because we have this support. 
but they should also be supporting in establishing the regulatory environment and the resources to support testing these novel products because each country has to do its own regulation path. So they need to put people to learn these new, new fields and it's a lot of investing of time and efforts. They also have to support the facilities for production. So, you know, thinking about subsidies, some governments give subsidies to the farmers, to the cow growers. So in order to make the meat in a cost-effective manner for the consumers. So maybe the subsidies should be divided differently if we want to promote more sustainable world, more sustainable options. So this is something that can be helpful in the first years, at least, when the product wouldn't be cost-effective to everyone, at least. Also, government started the supporting. I know that in Spain and also in the U.S., the National Science Foundation and supported research in Davis University about cultured meat. So it is happening dramatically. And I'm very glad to say that um, the Good Food Institute, which is a nonprofit organization, has a very much uh, strong support on, and push for this, uh, pushing forward these aims and with a great success. And we hope that uh, governments would continue this support and expand it. You obviously have a huge passion for your product and I can understand why where would you like to see it what is your vision for your whole cut steak my vision is that everyone that would like to purchase it in the supermarket can go to the supermarket there will be this aisle that is selling cultivated meat from all different animals or all different shapes. It will be steaks, but also fish or chicken or whatever he wants to choose. Very similar to what we currently know about the conventional or the traditional meat. It will be an aisle of cultivated meat from different varieties and they can take it. The price would be reasonable for, for purchasing and people would buy it at least once or twice a week. We'll combine it also with plant-based because it also have other advantages. So we're not going to be the sole producer in the world. We aim to be the third biggest company, meat company in the world. That is our vision. But we're not going to be alone. I believe that plant-based and other uh, novel technologies and novel products that have sustainability as part of their mission and as part of their process they would be also offered because that is our goal. Our goal is to create food in a sustainable manner and to have a food security for everyone. As Netta described, 3D bioprinting has been hailed as an emerging technology with an unprecedented capacity to fabricate food products with intricate structures, reducing significantly material costs and energy use. Bioprinting came into its own in an incredibly novel way quite recently. The team at Aleph Farms conducted an experiment aboard the International Space Station. First time ever lab-grown meat has been created in space. Zero gravity is actually a friend of the 3D bioprinting process. On Earth, as the cells are created, they fall downward, so the printing format requires a layer-by-layer -layer approach. However, in space, the cells remain suspended so the tissue can be printed from all sides simultaneously. And also, the maturing bioprinted organs and tissues in zero gravity proceeds at a much faster rate than on Earth. Now let's get back to the final part of our conversation with Dr. Netta Lavon. 
are animals in any way injured or harmed during this process? So in our process, and we tailor designed it, it wasn't easy. It's one of the more complicated ones. We do not harm or kill any animal in our process. So we take the cells from a subset that does not require to kill the animals. And more than that, our cells have an unlimited potential for growth, which means that one biopsy that we take, we can create out of it a bank of cells. We can freeze it and we can use it for very long-term production from one cow. And this is very unique to other farms. The second thing that is unique to other farms is the fact that we do not do any genetic modifications in our process and not for the cells, not for other uh, ingredients that are involved in the process of creating the final product. So this is the second point. And the third is, of course, our technology for creating the meat cut. We were the first and we are the leading in doing these steaks and not only uh, masses of cells that are later can be shaped and formed into hamburgers or uh, sausages and so on. We create this meat cut, this tissue by tissue engineering that is unique to other farms. So these are the main uh, points for us. And will Ali Farms be creating whole cuts in pork or lamb or, or chicken? Where do you go next? We now focused on bovine and we started it with cows because of the huge uh, sustainable cost for the environment that the cell that cow has. When we look, there is a factor that you probably know that is called feed conversion rate. So the feed conversion rate for cows is 25 to 1, which means that we get 1 calories, but we have to feed the cow with 25 calories, which is a huge loss, okay? You have to imagine 25 plates of pasta that you prepared and you throw 24 of them. Why is this the case? Because a cow, you grow a whole cow, but actually you only eat 30% of it, okay? And, and of course, this, there is this conversion rate for chicken, for example, it's 9 to 1. But definitely cows are the main target to solving today on the top of the issues of ethical and moral that we have to kill these huge mammals. So we decided to start with cow. But what is amazing is that this is a platform. We developed now a platform that we can later, and that's in our pipeline, of course, that we are taking into other mammals at first, like sheep, like uh, uh, porcine, for example, and then we can also go further beyond to fish and birds and so on. But we are focusing currently on mammals. We already have pipelines above bovine, and this is a platform indeed. Dr. Netalavon, thank you so much for your time. You're an absolute inspiration, and I wish you luck with the next stage of developing this, and I look forward to eating it and buying it in my local supermarket soon. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was a pleasure to talk to you. My sincere thanks to Dr. Netta Lavon, CFO of Alley Farms, for an inspiring conversation. Next time on Cultivating Conversations, we discuss future food tech market trends. We head to New York and an investor in plant-based meat startups. And to London, where a market analyst reveals more on the potential future landscape of food production. Joining me in these conversations, Chaseman Global's Mark Cooper. 
Based in Brisbane, he brings a fresh perspective on what's happening on the ground in Australia's agricultural heartland. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please connect by commenting and subscribing. I'm Claire Nazir and you've been listening to Cultivating Conversations. For more on what Chaseman Global are doing in the exciting world of ag tech, head to their website, chasemanglobal.com. Music